0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 122, my conversation with an old friend, Keely Glenn. You guys are going to love her. She's so cool. Um, Before I introduce Keely to you, I want to just have a little reminder that um, track four from my new album, The Hallowed Wide, comes out this coming Friday. It's called Closer to You, and it's such a beautiful song. I just know you're going to love it. It's really kind of... um, yeah, it sits like between a couple of different genres. It's very exploratory and, um, yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorites. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So stay tuned. Um, make sure you're like following, um, my artist page on Spotify. So that won't be the same as where you're following this podcast, but, um, Emily Merrill on Spotify. Um, and I think that's it in terms of announcements. So I will move on. Um, I wanted to just also say, um, you know, when I'm when I'm interviewing um, a new guest, lots of times we're kind of chatting before I like officially start the interview. And I decided to keep some of that kind of on um, as I was talking with Keely, um, just because I think um, hearing, you know, hearing us talk about, um, you know, how we deal with Art forms that require like our own kind of physical bodies to participate um, as as a dancer and a vocalist. Um, And I just thought you guys might like to hear that. So uh, so anyway, that's a little kind of caveat for the beginning of the episode. And now I'm going to tell you a little bit more formally about Miss Keely Glenn. Keely Song Glenn is an assistant professor of dance at Brigham Young University and a certified Laban movement analyst. She received her MFA in dance from the University of Iowa and was awarded the prestigious Dean's Graduate Fellowship. Previously, she graduated from Interlochen Arts Academy and after high school received her BA in dance education from Brigham Young University. While in Ohio, Ms. Glenn was the recipient of the Individual Arts Excellence Award in Choreography presented by the Ohio Arts Council. And the Gravity's Ripple um, three time choreographic residency award sponsored by the Dublin Arts Council and Ohio Dance. She was also the recipient of three Greater Columbus Arts Council's artist grants and a dance educator with Ballet Met. As a teacher, Keeley enjoys working with diverse populations and is taught in inner city public schools, summer dance intensives across the nation, and universities. As an independent movement designer, she plays with the idea of the absurd and the familiar to create accessible works for the child and the adult. She's a tech, a tech. Oh my gosh. She's a technical fusionist blending urban arts, classical stylization and athleticism into her choreography. Her passion for the arts and her family is currently leading her to explore new ways of using technology and the internet to make, perform and teach dance. Um, Again, Keely is just so cool. I feel like she and I have really similar, um, like ethoses and philosophies about how we approach the arts and kind of, um, blending the arts with kind of life, um, and I, I've, I've known Keely for years now. We've collaborated on several different projects and I'm just super inspired by her and the way her brain thinks and the way she is kind of like applying these big scale um, meta creativity kinds of things to her work and to her life. And again, kind of uh, blending the boundaries between the two. And um, I love the idea of kind of like f- Um, fusion in the way that Keely talks about it and using, you know, everything that's at our fingertips uh, to kind of create the best art we can. It's just really cool. And um, yeah, I'll let her tell you more. So without further ado, here comes my interview with my friend Keely Glenn. Enjoy. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Although, one thing that I tell my students is like... I sing so much that my voice never really gets unwarm. Hmm. But it'll be kind of like in the morning, I could still sing. Like my voice isn't like not warmed up, but it's just a little phlegmy. Mm. <laughs> like it's warm, it just has like some stuff on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, and then I woke up this morning I'm like, oh, my sacrum hurts so oh, badly. No. But then as the day gets on, then you it'll warm kind of stretch it up. out. Yeah. Do you yeah.
0: always have that like back no. pain? No, I don't always have it. It's is it new or is it like stress induced?
1: Mm, it could be stress induced. I do think the menstrual cycle. You oh, know, we sure. always have to be aware of that as totally. women, and just honoring that time period and the phasing mm-hmm. that happens. So it's like, so this time, yeah, this week, I'll push my workouts harder.
0: Right, another week careful. yeah i tore my acl when i was on my period so oh. <laughs> like i was because da- I, I used to dance i don't know if i told you that ever i wasn't like very good i wasn't it wasn't like natural at it but i i danced a lot when i was a kid and i i tore my acl doing like a side leap <laughs> just oh. i just landed and my knee just kept moving but yeah.
1: So I tore my ACL, but I was not on my period with the first one. But then I tore my MPFL, might be able to tell femoral ligament. Yeah. And I was on my period, and so I have been trying to do the research of yeah. whether or not because don't Because
0: I heard that like your ligaments are like looser. When
1: yeah. You're on your period. That's what I've. You know, this is not the research of.
0: I don't know so, like a deep yeah. scientific yeah. peer
1: reviewed <laughs> research, but uh, uh, one article did talk about the laxity of the ligaments to change mm, yeah. because of the hormones, but they were inconclusive whether or oh, not okay. it was for sure. For it did injuries from a certain statistical amount of women in a sport have more ACL injuries during their period or not. And it's I think, kind of not sure. Yeah. It seems to be
0: inconclusive, but the data must I should be look more tricky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and also like maybe I could be wrong, but I feel like that's the kind of thing that like would be under researched. Right. right? Like just because of like sexism in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Women's health. Totally. Anything with women's athlete, like female athletes health. Like that seems like a very small subset of, you know, what people who are in research might be doing. Mm -hmm. But I I mean, who knows? (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) we're hoping we'll get more visibility, but overall, even just the basics of, I don't even know why we're talking about this subject, but (laughs) menstruation, you know, the research about that, there's little
0: that we still know about the menstrual cycle. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, we're talking about it because you have back pain and I also have back pain this week. (laughs) I like, I, but I get upper back pain, Oh, but mine's totally, mine's just anxiety. Like Mm. I do it to myself. Like it's like psychosomatic I just Mm -hmm. like clench everything all up. And then I kind of like, um, I I sort of like throw my back out, like I'll get muscle spasms. So, you know, bodies,
1: (laughs) they're an amazing gift and they want to heal, but it, it is amazing when they'll tell you, you need to stop. Yeah. And, and for me, I get my anxiety in my gut, or at least Mm -hmm. I try to send it to my gut to try to digest it, to move it forward.
0: Yeah. I think mine's flaring up cause it's the holidays. Like it's, and it's just, I have family trauma. So it's just like a stressful, mm-hmm. my subconscious just knows <laughs> my subconscious <laughs> knows that like, and also my, I've, I've said this on the podcast a few times, but my therapist moved to Seattle. Oh no! So I, I just made an appointment with a brand new therapist, but yeah, I think I was like doing okay. And then like, I got, I had this like back pin flare up and I was like, Oh, i need to be in therapy yeah (laughs) and and
1: no virtual therapy
0: then even though she moved she we were doing virtual therapy for a minute and then she moved to seattle to start doing like a social work job like Mm. she's not doing um one-on-one therapy anymore so i think we she kind of like i think she she, because i i stopped for a minute i was like okay but I liked feeling like I can call her right. If I'm not in. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I tried to call her and I think she like discontinued her old email address. So then I was like, Samantha, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> so now I have a new appointment with a, a gentleman named Stefan. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We can like, we can okay. start now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we'll start. we'll
0: officially start. So Keely, tell me what you were like as a creative child kind of a creative environment were you in and also what kind of stuff did you come to the world with Oh, interesting question.
1: So, I was adopted from Korea at 8 months old and I grew up in the rural areas of Idaho on a dirt road. Wow. My parents owned 5 acres and I really didn't come from a creative home. I came from a hard working home. Okay. Everyone was hardworking there was a lot of time of being bored, and I think that actually helped in my creative process. Where yeah. after moving away from Idaho, everything felt exciting because sure. I was just in this place of boredom. And it's I don't want to say boredom of is bad, but I remember sitting outside in the grass area quite frequently by myself because we didn't live close to a lot of people. We yeah. were out in out in the uh, rural area. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at the sky for a long time, and this is Idaho, so the clouds move really slowly. And I just remember for the first time seeing the the clouds and, and saying, oh my goodness, they move. I had no idea clouds yeah. move. And the fact that I was old enough to remember this memory means yes. I was pretty old. <laughs> and so I think I did a lot of observing. Yeah. Yeah. As a child, I think I, I was this timid child, very shy really? with adults.
0: I'm shocked to hear that.
1: Yes, I think people would be because I am an I am an extrovert, but I think as a child, it gave me a lot of time to be more introvert. I was very scared of adults and of my extended family. Yeah, but I was very talkative in the home, and all my older siblings played sports, and I just kind of happened to come into dance. Okay. So you had a bunch of older siblings. Were, were any of them adopted too? Yes. My sister was adopted, but she was through the foster care system. Okay. And then my two older brothers were biological.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're the only one in your family with like a, an Asian phenotype. It, yes. An okay. Asian
1: or an uh, international adoption. Yep. Okay.
0: And, uh, do you feel like that contributed to like your kind of timidness as a child? I don't think so, I think what it did contribute,
1: though in a very subconscious way was I loved being unique, okay, I cool. know for some people it's that. the opposite, yeah, but I loved that I didn't look like anybody in my family,
0: yeah, that's, right away, I feel like that's creative, even like mm-hmm. I'm so interested in the way that creativity starts as like and I starts as ideas and then turns into actions, but you know, whether that's just kind of your creative instinct but to kind of like frame like a a difference as like a something exciting Mm -hmm. I feel like that's like a little clue yeah um what about just like your play like did you feel like you did you feel creative about like the way that you would try to like handle your boredom as a little kid I do remember looking at a pencil after
1: watching Star Wars and trying so hard to move the pencil with the force
0: yeah I did stuff like that too. Like trying to like walk on my pool.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. That happens all the time. (laughs) So I did think I allowed myself to believe in magic. Yeah. Like I love the idea of, um, what, things can be made or created. And I remember doing book reports and and this came about actually because my son just had to do a book report and they could do anything they wanted. Yeah. And my son wanted to do like a seven page book report and he's eight years old. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. He's just hungry. Right. Cute. But to me, I was like, don't you want to do a craft? Do you want to sure. build something? And yeah. so anytime I had the freedom to make something, I always felt I was pushing the edge to be yeah. creative. But I do remember as a visual, like in visual art class, I didn't have that natural knack of well let's just experiment let's try this and let's validate something that is unique or different from what the teacher made I think that's something that translated a lot later into my life about it's okay if it doesn't look like the the teachers what the teacher demonstrated and there's a lot of freedom in that creativity so I was a child that was trying to stay within the rules
0: sure I was like that too I think like I liked doing I was I I feel like I, I, as a child was very moved by like creativity. Like I loved, I loved books. Like I loved consuming other people's creative works. Um, and I, I like, I loved listening to like, you know, I had Broadway cassettes and just felt like I could like bring it all to life in my mind. Um, but in terms of like the actions I was taking, like I was very, I was very rule, rule following. Yes. But I wanted to, I wanted to do a lot of things. Like I was kind of busy in the, arts and crafts land mm-hmm. and, and music. Mm-hmm. Did you do any music or anything as a kid? I, my parents did put me on the piano. Okay. It was one of
1: those things where I fought and fought. Yeah. So I did 10 years of piano lessons and it's a common deal. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, hi, huh, I wonder why I did that. And then, And then I did a little bit of violin, so I dabbled in in that for a little bit, Uh, and I really enjoyed that. The only reason why I quit violin was because when I went to boarding school when I was 15. Oh my gosh. For dance? uh, For dance. Okay, cool. It just became so intense with dance that there was just no way I could keep up a
0: a second art form. Totally. Okay, I think I have maybe one more question about like your pre-dance time. Mm -hmm. Um, And this might, you know, memory is hard, it might be hard to remember, but... Do you remember anything about the way that, like, your family system or kind of, like, the adults in your life, like, talked about the value of, like, creativity or the arts or not? It doesn't have to be, like, explicit, but, like...
1: Yeah, my parents, I think, were... Parents, maybe a few words, but a lot of actions. Yeah. So to me, they never talked about the arts or supported the arts like in a verbal way, but they always took me to everything cool. and they would always stay with me. For it, and they were very much hands off in cool. terms of if I you go to a like competition. They take
0: you to your things. Yes, okay. they would take
1: me to my thing. Versus like the symphony, okay. right? Yeah. yeah, okay. We did not go to the symphony. Okay, that's okay. Or maybe they <laughs> yeah. did if they're going to listen. Like, <laughs> yeah. We did too, take you to the symphony, but it was a busy time with yeah. a lot of kids lots doing of kids. doing yeah. lots of things. So I would be doing gymnastics and dance and piano and violin. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of driving, but I think the creativity for me stemmed with the physical hard labor. Yeah. My dad, if you were to ask all of our siblings, he's like the hardest worker. His, I were mean, he's just countlessly like using a his farm body or like what, what,
0: yeah. Like what well, kind of hard it work really was he really doing? It was
1: really a farm at that time. Well, we owned five acres, but before that my dad was a farmer. Okay. So before I was born, they did own that. And then for a little bit, they owned cornfields. Okay. And so in the summer they would um, do the corn, but I, I I don't know whether it was just service my dad would do in the church. Yeah. He'd be the first one there and he still is to help people move. Sure. And he's moving twice as many boxes as the rest of us. Yeah, And so to me, I got at a very young age, like the beauty of labor yeah. and to um, respect the physical labor of other people. Yeah, And I felt that really direct has directly translated to my dance Cool. A philosophy experience, and the reason why I'm still in dance is because I'm like this is very much always about physical labor.
0: Yeah, when you say like respect the physical labor of other people, like do you want to say more about that? Like I haven't thought about that specifically. Yeah, I, I really think you know the physical labor of the land
1: or the food. I just yeah. have had a little glimpse yeah. of of that when we were husking corn, and yeah. I would just be a little girl and husking a little. Yeah. For every husk I did, my dad yeah. did about twelve. Sure. And and just how quickly he was moving and never complained. My dad never complained yeah. about things and. And that was another thing I was trying, I'm trying to work in my, in my own life too. And my mom was a nurse and she worked really hard and had hard hours
0: as well. So you kind of mean like just appreciating, like,
1: it's like a gratitude practice kind of, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: totally, Mm -hmm. totally.
1: Like my mom is a nurse. Nobody, I mean, even in the situation that we're in right now with the pandemic, like, wow, the mental, social, emotional toll that this pandemic is putting on these people and then back onto their families and then where's our food coming from and then with the labor shortage and the supply chain just like realizing and not Mm -hmm. taking for granted everything we have
0: totally like yeah and i i this for anyone who like listens to my podcast they'll know that like this is touching on a theme that is like my favorite theme which is thinking creatively about like people like thinking creatively about what each each person's strengths are, you know, what kind of each person is going through. And I think like having gratitude for like the, the work that people are doing, whether or not it's work that seems like shiny or exciting to you. Mm-hmm. I feel really strongly about that as well. And it, it definitely feels, it definitely feels like it, like it has a Venn diagram with creativity to mm-hmm. me. Like, it, it 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 feels similar like in my body and my mind. So it sounds like maybe you kind of feel the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm at the repetition too,
1: like the discipline of dance yeah. that you're always in the studio doing things over and over. And then I think about that with my dad when he would work on the farm or yeah. even my brother when he would be doing oh, roofing, really. c- constant hard labor of tearing up roofs. And I, I would, <laughs> he hired me one time to be on the roof and we tore off a roof. And I'm like, whoa, you know, just doing this every totally.
0: day. I feel, I feel almost a bit like meditative about that kind of thing too, like... Yeah, I I also feel excited about like, the productivity of like, almost like, I don't want to say like mundane, but like, like kind of working on the same thing over and over again, and like, letting yourself kind of get lost in like, this kind of work. And for me, it's, it's, it's not usually like, I wouldn't say it's physical labor, but you know, like this week, even I was working with one of my, cause I teach at UVU now, I, don't know if I, Ooh. That, but I was working with one of my UVU students and uh, I was showing him like a, a, a practice methodology, um, that I use a lot, which is very kind of one could say it's tedious, you know, mm-hmm. it's like very repetitive, but I feel like that type of practice, like honors the music so well, like mm-hmm. you're getting to know it. Like it's such a deep level and that that kind of thing has felt intuitive to me since I was a child, mm-hmm. which I, I feel like it sounds like you feel like that too.
1: Honor the music and I would say honor the ancestry that's been in your body yeah. too and think of all the people who have been before you who have had to do repetitive motions of movement for survival.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, so your parents or especially your dad was kind of inspiring in this sense of like, Taking control, like taking action, um, and then how did you get into dance? we were in, we were, wait, you didn't have sisters. Just I did have an older sister. Okay. okay, were were any? Was your sister in dance? She wasn't dance. My mom just put us in the local
1: studio in Caldwell with a friend, and so we started off. But my sister right away was like. Yeah, I'm not musical. This she she pivoted yeah. to basketball okay, and volleyball. And so she followed the sports routes, like my my older siblings. So I was the only one that did
0: dance. Did you have to advocate for yourself? Like, I'd like to do dance, or was it just like, let's try dance?
1: No, it was very much, let's try dance. Okay, cool. And it wasn't one of those things where if you watch videos, I'm not the most talented one or charismatic or anything. Sure. I'm just very
0: chubby, brown face. <laughs> and
1: just doing... <laughs> doing it
0: yeah and do I you, do and you say, have any memories of being like first starting like did 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 you have a did you have like a, an internal spark about it or did that grow the internal spark grew the more I had had
1: the possibility to be creative as a choreographer cool so dancing is not my love like my first love at okay. all okay dancing was very much like the tools that I needed to get to the creative okay world that I wanted to dream and, and make happen. But in terms of a memory, I think I remember being five years old and being at the bar in ballet and thinking to myself, why are we still at this bar? Like, yeah. I just couldn't understand yeah. Yeah. the ritual yeah. or what was supposed to happen. And I think sometimes I still translate that into my adulthood. Like, why am I still at the bar? (laughs) (laughs) So so there was this big desire to move in the space, to not be stationary. So the bar is very stationary. You stay in one place and you do these exercises. So that has given me a glimpse into actually even how I live my life. Like I love to move around. I love to be physically you know, whether it's driving, traveling, moving homes, I love to physically move my space. Wow. I'm not
0: the same as you. So
1: as a child, it (laughs) manifested quite early on from my questions. Like, why am I stuck here?
0: Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Please tell me everything. Like, how did you go from being a five-year-old? Like, stuck at the bar to like going to a boarding school like and what happened in those 10 years
1: yeah I think in those 10 years it was the collectivism of cross-training so I in those five in those 10 years I was doing gymnastics I quit at age 12 I think gymnastics or tumbling is a really important skill to have as a dancer. Even now, and a lot of studios are offering that, there's something about getting the vestibular, like being upside down and stuff that I think it's healthy for the body. I think it's healthy for the mind to just try to see the world and a new perspective and to get confidence that I'm learning a skill set because there's lots of things in dance that are so nuanced that are hard to describe or to see the improvement yeah. because it's not a type A to Z skill building set. Sure, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Will so, you to me, elaborate tumbling on is that? that,
0: like I totally know what you mean because I teach like a nuanced skill as well. Yeah. But I would love to hear you like, s- like say for the yeah. listeners like what that what that means. Yeah.
1: So. You know, a, a person can batma or kick their leg. I don't want to say batma. Some of them kick your leg and be like, oh, okay. Their leg is really high and extended. It looks like it's 180 degrees up there. It's the highest in the ceiling. That is a measurable way of assessing. Okay, right. but then how do they get from kicking their leg down into the floor? And, it's, and let's say, let's go kick the leg all the way to the ceiling, put it down and roll to the ground. And within that action there are a million things you need to be thinking about and a million ways of assessing if they're doing it right or not, or if they're doing it intuitively or not. So be like, well, how is their breath phrasing? Does it feel that it's correct? How is their body patterning? How is their musculature stacking? Is it stacking correctly? Are they moving through the space? It's it's so hard to describe sometimes when students are like, well, I did the combination right. And you're like, right. yeah, you, you did it exactly right. But we're missing the nuance. We're missing the transitions. Totally. And as a teacher, my goal is to help you do those transitions. But as I'm describing it to you, it may be hard mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to trust or believe in the journey. And sometimes then you're using
0: a lot of imagery,
1: yeah, you like yeah. Let,
0: let's kick your leg and then roll down like melting butter. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. In music, we call this like musicality. And it is this very like, you know, music educators will joke like we all use this word musicality. Mm-hmm. But like, what does it even mean? Like, it's a very moving target. Right. But like artistry in dance. Do Right. Because it's like you can get the notes and the rhythms right. Like you can do the combination. But like, like sometimes I'll be teaching. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but the student will sing something. And I'll just be like, okay, I need to think for a second about like why that didn't feel right. Like I Mm -hmm. have to like, like I have to really think, cause like, I know it didn't feel right. And I know that that, like, I know that that instinct that I have is like valuable to Mm -hmm. you. It's like why I'm paid to teach you. But like, sometimes I have to, I have to, I have to like pause for a second and try to think like, what was it, you know? And then we'll, I'll realize like, it's something so small, like The way that you pronounced that R, you know, can you do it with your tongue like in this shape instead of this shape? And then the student will kind of be like, okay, I'll try it. Mm -hmm. And then we'll try it and then we'll both just be like, oh, you know, like, oh, that sounded so much better and it felt better. But it is very... Mysterious sometimes, mm-hmm. and sometimes you keep having them try and try. You're like, "Well, try, we'll try this now. Totally. Try this," and it's like
1: that's still not working, you know. Exactly. And it's just find, it's finding that nuance, and yeah. And to me, it feels so much in the transitions and dance. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, so how did how did we get onto this? You said like, what did you say you were you were interested in in that kind of like? How did you phrase it? You were said oh. it's not an A to Z skill, but it's what what oh, is tumbling. it? Oh, tumbling.
1: Yes, it it was. Oh yeah yeah. yeah like yeah. how. Because dance is a very long journey. I know we sometimes think of dance as a short career, but dance can be a long journey if you m- are mindful of burnout, if you're mindful yeah. of your body and injuries right. and believing that you could come back. But tumbling growing up was a skill set that I could measure. Like, oh, today sure. I did a round of back handspring. Today I did that. And it was helpful to feel like I was I was progressing because in ballet class or in modern or in my other dance classes, the progression didn't feel
0: so it's slow because you're building fundamentals yes. for like a decade forever. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. And totally. even when you build those fundamentals and you go to another place and you realize those foundations were wrong and then yes. you have to break yourself and retrain again.
0: Yep. Yes. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like voice is, voice is a, a pretty full body endeavor, in a lot of ways, but not, not like dance, obviously, but even with voice, like I definitely felt like that, like as I would move up to another teacher to kind of realize like, oh, my former teacher, like really didn't understand like the full continuity of this, um, like how all the musculature should work together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I felt like I was unlearning and relearning things like you know, certainly until I was in my master's degree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When I finally was kind of like, okay, I think I, and that's not to say that I don't still occasionally be like, oh, (laughs) I get this in a new way, Mm -hmm. but yeah.
1: Right. And it's not to say too the foundations that you may have had previously were wrong, but the modalities of which they were teaching it or do you just hearing it over and over made you maybe turn off or at least for me turn off the information until somebody knew right. or emphasized mis- it Yeah,
0: or I'm totally misinterpret. Like, yes, that's something that I think in pedagogy and in, in voice pedagogy. One thing that's tricky about voice is it's it's all internal. So, and I, I, I'm sure that a lot of dance is internal stuff, mm-hmm. like how are your abs moving? Absolutely, where like you're seeing a foot move, but you don't know. Like, and with singing, it's like kind of all internal, so it's very easily misinterpreted from teacher to student, because you know a teacher will say something like, "Use your diaphragm," which is a very useless thing to say (laughs) like your (laughs) diaphragm has almost no nerve endings you're not really in control of it but you know a teacher will say use your diaphragm and a child like is going to interpret that as like use my abs Mm because we can't really feel the diaphragm so they're going to think like okay like what muscles do I have in here like it's probably my abs and they might do the right thing which is to uh flex the transverse abdominis outward Mm. that's how you get like good breath support and singing Mm -hmm. but probably what's much more likely is they're gonna flex that muscle inward like they're doing crunches because that's (laughs) how we know how to use that muscle and it's the exact opposite of Mm. what you should be doing Mm -hmm. so I mean I feel like that kind of thing happens in vocal pedagogy so often yes where it's like the student is doing their best to interpret and they're doing like sometimes sometimes the absolute most detrimental thing. Right,
1: right. Yeah. And then as a teacher, be like, okay, we got to go through another uh, tunnel or we yeah. have to go through another end road to get to where we need to get to. Yeah, And that is what I do love about teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The constant like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something
0: else. It is so creative. Teaching is so creative. I love that about it too. Like like solving a puzzle with another person whose body you're not in Mm -hmm. you know trying to feel like it's so empathic it's like you have to use such empathy to imagine yourself in another person's body and try to think like Mm -hmm. what might that feel like to you Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure that's even more like enriching for you because you get to use like the whole body yes (laughs) that's cool so um Okay, this is like such a diversion, but I just am curious. Do you know anything about like, and it's fine if you don't. I just am curious. So I know that like, you know, in terms of anthropology, like, you know, at some point our like homo sapien ancestors used to like do a lot of swinging in trees. Um, Do you know, do you have, do you know any research about like this upside down thing, whether there's like some of that is rooted in like our biology because of because we used oh, to be right. in trees,
1: <laughs> I, mean, I haven't I can't done know. any deep research with that. that. I just have found in my own body and like seeing w- my students when we start going into inversion. Yeah. I feel that I, I sense a lot of empowerment. Sure, that's like wow, I'm able to do this handstand. I'm able to go upside down, and. Uh, in terms of just how our daily living is, that we're mostly on our legs. So to be yeah. able to give our legs a rest and to be able to use our body yeah. and the, and go on our hands and to be able to strengthen the upper body and the lower body simultaneously, I think just builds a better individual, a healthier it's ind- really individual. It's really good for your
0: brain. Mm-hmm. I watched a documentary a while ago about babies. It's a great documentary on Netflix. It's a series and it's called... It's really good. I bet you would like it because it's very like, it's very like kinesiology, I think. Mm -hmm. But there was one whole episode about like crawling and how like this bilateral movement is like instinctual and how like we, our culture has like evolved us as human adults out of like using our arms. Like we prioritize our legs for motion and we use our arms for like tasks. Mm -hmm. But it was talking about how like, we're we're designed like our biology is like wired to like climb and move Mm -hmm. and like use our arms for um propelling in a different way than we like typically do right Um, and it's like we're really really quite good at it when we get the practice Mm -hmm. we're just underdeveloped in that way culturally well and i
1: think about my sons who love to play on the playground right. and the first things they're doing are the monkey bars and the swinging and I remember doing that constantly as a child yeah. and so I'm like oh yeah let's go and then I was like, oh my goodness oh, my arms are in cramping in my muscle memory yeah, not, anymore yeah, yeah it's in my memory but not my muscle yeah. memory I'm like oh what a skill we lose so quickly when right. we don't use it totally so totally. there is something about I have been I have been contemplating this idea of what does society tell us what
0: movement Are are we given permission to perform in public spaces? Oh my gosh, Keely! Yes. Like, cause I mean, I, I feel this way about sounds too. Like, I mean, Mm. I'm sure it's very, very similar and I've talked with other dancers and I feel like it's like, there are similar things, but we have such cultural stipulations on what sounds we're allowed to make. Mm. And our like human larynx is like a phenomenal instrument in like the animal kingdom. It's unparalleled um like what our what our instrument can do but we're so culturally limited like into how exuberant our voices can be how much like range we're allowed to use we punish each other culturally for different kinds of volume for different Mm -hmm. kinds of pitch changes um and yeah I feel like it's like a like a tragedy yeah (laughs) Yeah. I'm totally with you there and now it's artists
1: and it becomes the the arts community's responsibility to help open the space, yeah. to give permission for movement and voice. Tell me
0: more. Like have what that. have you been thinking about specifically? Like what's kind of on your mind about it? <laughs> well, it came to me when
1: I started run, training for a marathon with my third child. I'm going to train for a marathon and marathons are commitment. Yeah. You know, it's hours of being on a treadmill or running outside. And I thought to myself, Oh my goodness, I have all these hours. I've made these hours set aside time to run I'm like why am I not dancing and this was at a time when I was out of the dance field I was staying home and it just made me question that like why why am I why am I committing to to the run well first of all I love the run I do love the cardio workout and I still run I do I do enjoy running finding the distance but it started then maybe, and that was maybe five years ago. And most recently I have been exploring then these daily outside dance exercises I do for myself of just pressing play and being outside and recording myself. And sometimes people watch and it's, you know, a person passing by, but even then I'm very hesitant to go find a public space and dance by myself. Now, if somebody's recording me, I love it. I'm like, put me anywhere in front of, thousand people. If yes. I, if somebody else is recording me, that's like a fine. Purpose that's yes. like socially defined. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> the fact is if I don't have a socially defined purpose, yeah. if it's just me with my phone, it feels very intimidating. It's so I'm trying weird. to work yeah. through
0: that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. And, and you, do you have like theories about what the like broader implications would be if like, you know, this was, um, like a skill or practice that you were like teaching to other people or you not kind of there yet?
1: I'm moving towards that. So currently I teach a lecture class and then I direct the company, but I I do once I'm figuring out for myself, you know, kind of doing my own writing. Yes. Yes. Every day i go, what's my training? Cause I wanted to do at least a hundred days of being outside recording myself, just doing a simple, very simple movement exercises, whatever I felt like, but was dance very much dance and even then I find myself doing it every other day. I'm like, okay, so that's my habit. You know, Not trying to not degrade myself sure. or put myself down, but just realizing like, what's
0: my natural rhythm? Yeah. And have you learned, have you like discovered anything so far of like, I don't know, do you have theories about like why it feels uncomfortable or whether, or like what would feel, what would be positive about like getting past that? Yeah. Oh, lots of things again i'm in the middle of
1: it i think i'm on day 30 technically i have to go back and look cool but one i wanted to train the body to be outside yeah and dance so reclaiming that dance doesn't have to be in the studio dance could be in all kinds of weathers and all all elements what have i discovered i did discover i love dancing by myself out in nature with nobody around
0: yeah yeah cool
1: I kind of shut down or I do get a little intimidated the moment I am in a space where other people can see me. But then there's some days I feel really confident and then I don't care if people see me. But in the last two weeks, I've been more timid. I've been trying to go even to more isolated spots outdoors. And then other days I just don't care. So I'm trying to figure out what it is in my own personal life. Uh, that we can honor of that time that you want to be isolated. So using dance as personal therapy or at dance as personal investment versus dance as a mode of sharing with the community. Yeah, yeah. Because even if you're outside and somebody's passing, you are sharing. So I think balancing those two means by which I use dance.
0: I think about that a bit with my students too. Like, I think as musicians, we can get really stuck in thinking of our practice as something that we do to prepare for a performance, which whatever, fine. But I've, I've been kind of on one with my studio this semester about like letting your practice kind of be a gift unto itself. And, and I mean, practice that's like more like rehearsal than practice. That's like drills, Mm -hmm. but like when you're making music alone, can that music be, it's a gift to you. Like, Mm -hmm. can you let it be as magical when you are totally alone, as you might feel like it was if you were on a stage sharing um, and building like beautiful sounds in front of other people. I've been like really interested in that lately, feeling kind of like the the preciousness of the thing, period, like, regardless of who's a witness to it. Right, absolutely. And even as
1: you're saying that, Emily, I think maybe that is what I'm I'm investigating right now. It's like, there's a time of my practice where I really just want it to be for myself. Yeah. And I really need to be in nature and letting it heal me, letting the land heal me and it's, it's, it's ways. Yeah. And then there's a time where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to share it by anybody passing by. It's different
0: when you're, when it's observed. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. Like the responsibility that you have or, the nature of what is going on is automatically a little different if there's an observer. And one thing that I was wondering as you were talking and like I don't know, but one thing one thing I'm wondering is whether that timidness is like I have to assume it's less about the dance and more like like that you're less timid that someone is like maybe judging your dancing and more timid about the fact that someone might be thinking about the fact that you're dancing in a place that isn't for dance. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. The latter. Yeah. yeah. Like what is this person doing here? Yeah. Which I think like that is, that is such a detriment to our our art. Like Mm -hmm. I think about that with, with myself and my students all the time. Like if we could, if we could manage and it's so much easier said than done, but if we could manage to focus on the thing we're doing and not Mm -hmm. all of the social and cultural context, like, it would be so much better like the art would be so much better um but like with you know like we get in our heads about such stupid things and it's not to say that they aren't real or they don't have actual consequences they're just frustrating but you know like i think um I don't, i'm sure this happens with dance too but with singing i think um especially when you're young maybe when you're older too there can almost be like penalties for being excellent like People can kind of think like, oh, well, she thinks she's better than us or she really thinks she's hot stuff, you know, and that can be like very, um, that can be terrifying to someone who is like a gentle soul mm-hmm. who doesn't feel pride at all, mm-hmm. but just loves to make music or loves to dance. And to think that someone while they're in the middle of performing is thinking like, oh. Someone might think that I think I'm really mm. great. <laughs> like, it's so perverse. Like, but it's not, it's not, not real. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are these kind of like social penalties for right. being a person who dances in public, being her, a person who sings really, really well. You know, I don't know. I was it's... talking with our students
1: about that, and that was one of the fears that came out. Cause I said, what are you afraid of? You know, yeah. and, and then that whole thinking so I'm too common. good yeah. for it. Oh, interesting. Cause I think I've, <sighs> I'm one of those dancers that have never been the best yeah, 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 and yeah. have never been the worst. I've always been in the middle. So I've never had that fear. I'm yeah. not a very musical person, even though I've had musical training. It's just one of those gifts I wasn't given. And so I've always, and I've had a difficult time memorizing combinations. Sure. So I've always felt in the middle, but to see my excellent students ha- come to across the situation, cause they are very talented and gifted yeah, to have that fear so sad. of being perceived as too good. Yeah. Really?
0: Oh, Well, it's almost like such a taboo thing to even Mm -hmm. say out loud, but I think it's something that a lot of our students, a lot of young people deal with. Um, I think maybe especially women, (laughs) like there are penalties for being like excellent, like at anything as women, (laughs) like in our current day and age. And I don't know. Yeah. Then that's why I, I think that's why my instinct is to teach the students to focus on the music in their practice Mm -hmm. to just focus on like the sheer gift that this thing is that this thing of your larynx is that this thing of like physical acoustics you know like having a curiosity about like what does this story feel like to me today what parts of this story are connecting with me in these lyrics what do these acoustics of this room that I'm in like how can I play with those? How can I change what I'm doing to kind of like, you know, um, most efficiently bask in like these vibrations, like these physical vibrations. Yes.
1: Vibrations is something I've been investigating in dance. Like how do you let the vibration of a movement or a stomp resonate in your body to create healing? Yes. Because there's something about vibrations I've been reading about. I'm at I wouldn't be able to discuss it because I don't have the The, the articulation yet or the language, (laughs) but just in passing, how uh, vibrations can serve as a form of healing, totally. and so I've been trying to be more aware of that in all my practice. Like, mm-hmm. how is the vibrations? We just mm-hmm. even did a v- improvisation with my students.
0: I love that about like, okay, feel the vibrations of this music going yeah.
1: through you. Feel the vibrations of the floor as you totally. Hit it.
0: Well, and if you're singing, like, you get to feel the vibrations in your bones, like mm-hmm. from the inside out. Like, the vibration in your larynx will, like, you'll feel it in your collarbone and. If you move your um, pharynx or your soft palate in a different way, you'll feel it, you know, in different parts of your head, you know? Right. And it's like just, yeah, feeling investigative about it and curious and I don't know. And also like what are the colors my voice is making today? Like, mm. <laughs> do I want to play with this like weird little rattle of phlegm that I have? <laughs> and if you're alone in a practice room, those practices can be so it can just be play. And I, I'm really starting to kind of believe as a performer that like, if we're cultivating that kind of thought process in our practice, our performance will be so much more like a whole wholehearted mm-hmm. and, and dynamic. Yeah. Speaking
1: about voice, uh, that, I've been trying to think about how yeah we can integrate singing or humming yeah. in with the studio to further have those vibrations in the yeah, within the organs that's
0: so exciting yeah that's and really I'm not exciting. a singer but a part of me is like this is so important and to just well in the same way that, that like dance and movement is like our birthright like mm-hmm. it's in our species like like these kinds of like rhythm is is in our species it's like something that like homo sapiens has it and in the same way that like we all have these incredible musical instruments built into our bodies mm. and i'm like such a firm believer like it's everyone's like everyone get everyone everyone is a singer because like you're human if you're a human yes you're a singer because you have this instrument who cares how you use it like what rules you follow but like everyone is entitled to I like believe so deeply everyone is entitled to like express however you want using like all of your sounds because it is like what a what a tragedy in the same way that you're you know just realizing playing with your kids like I don't use my arms like I used Mm -hmm. to like it's also a tragedy like if you listen to kids they vocalize they phonate with their whole Mm. we come out of the womb vocalizing (laughs) with our full range full volume range full like pitch spectrum and by the time we're adults most of us limit that to such a tiny 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 amount and maybe we kind of let go of it if we're laughing or if we're on a roller coaster but on in our day to you know in our day-to-day life it's kind of it's very limited which i just think is so sad (laughs) So wow, Emily, sad. you have definitely made me want to commit more to using my voice. God, do it. You should. Yeah, I will it's use so my voice. It's powerful. It's very powerful. <laughs> and yeah, like, I love the idea of being curious. Like, what does this kind of inflection, like, how does it change the behavior of people around me? Like, mm-hmm. what, in the same way that you're thinking about dance, like how how are people looking at me and responding to me if I mm-hmm. use my instrument this way? Mm-hmm. I don't know, I have also haven't solved it, but I am curious about it.
1: Well, and, and, <laughs> and like you said with play, like how we, if there's more play, the more dynamic we'll be on stage. And that's why I think I am doing these exercises outside wherever we're at, whether it's yeah. in Southern Utah or if I'm yeah. on a run in the mountains, it's like, okay, let's press record. I am seeking for that play and for that magic yeah. and for the dynamics that nature and being outside and claiming my
0: movement right.
1: in unconventional spaces right. will have once I come back to a conventional right. space.
0: Yeah. To As an academic to kind of like marry those mm-hmm. things is mm-hmm. like maybe quite an accomplishment. It's a <laughs> worthy endeavor. Not there yet, but going with this idea of
1: therapy, like people when they're out in nature, cope better. There's more mindfulness, yeah. especially in your bodies of water. I'm like, okay, yeah. Why don't we just start taking
0: things mm-hmm. out in the space? Yeah. I love it. So how did you end up in boarding school? That oh, feels right. like a big, that feels like a big thing. <laughs> the,
1: the older I get, the more I'm like, that doesn't feel like that big of a deal. Cause it was so long ago. Yeah. That's
0: huge though. Especially I think maybe this is wrong, but for like, for like a conservative Community to send yes. your child to boarding school—that seems like unheard of. A little bit.
1: Yes, it it was. It definitely was. It, it, it I was an anomaly where I was at. So I was back in Idaho during that time period up to fifteen. I was training with this youth dance company by Leah, Leah and it was called Balance. And she really taught me about modern. And really, it you just need one person in the community, yeah. to. Be able to inspire people to develop their dreams and to inspire them to look at art differently, yes. right? Because typically in a in a community, there's ballet, there's jazz, there's tap. Right. Sometimes you'll have contemporary, but sometimes not. So um, Leah Rhonda, I studied under them extensively, and I remember Rhonda saying, "Someday you're going to go to Interlochen," and that was in seventh grade. And I go, I know oh. about
0: Interlochen, Michigan, yeah. right? Yes, yeah, Michigan. See, I'm not bullshitting. Yeah. I knew where it was." <laughs>
1: Right. Because otherwise Interlaken's like Sweden.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and there was this advertisement for Interlaken, And so I was like, oh, okay, it's a boarding school. And that was in seventh grade. Wow. And it just kind of simmer was simmering in my mind. And so I said, mom, can I audition for this boarding school in eighth grade to go into ninth? And my mom's like, no, no, yeah. you're not. And then, and then I kept asking, mom, can I you audition for this? Yes, cool. I did. And this was before wow, really so the internet brave. was yeah. really functioning. Yeah. She was <laughs> sending her
0: baby like away yeah. <laughs> yeah I did Into have a cell abyss. phone I did yeah. have a cell
1: phone but text messages that's when they still cost money sure. and if you called somebody nationally it still costs like 20 cents oh or so gosh. so yes I uh so finally they let me audition and I got in which was kind of a, m- a miracle because my body built is not that of a ballet dancer yeah. and it was a ballet it's conservatory a ballet wow and, but I went there just thinking I'm going to go get the training to move on to a different dance. That's so
0: brave. That's so brave. And like what incredible foresight for such a young person. So how did you go from being someone like you said, when you first started dance, you weren't the most, like you weren't that intuitive. How did you go from being like a, probably not the shining star in the class to being someone who your teachers are saying like, you're going to audition for interlocking.
1: What's interesting still is I was not the best student in the class even then, but I was the most, I was one of the most consistent. Yeah. I didn't miss rehearsal. I was on time to rehearsals as much as my parents could get me on time, which they often, they were, my parents love to be on time. They're usually 30 minutes early, but I I just started at a very early age to make sure you show up that showing up day in and day out will get you to where you need to go. And I think having a realistic view, too, of like what I want dance, what I wanted to use dance for, I wanted to
0: choreograph. How did you even have that thought as such a little kid? Like, where did that come from? That is what I am unsure of. Oh, my gosh. I am really. A mystery.
1: I'm really unsure of because (laughs) I advise students, too, in college. I'm like, well, what? Do you want to go do this company? Do you want to do this? And a lot of them are unsure. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because even at a young age so little. Yeah, even at twelve, I remember going, I need to go get an MFA. That's so crazy. (laughs) Without having anybody telling me or resources. It was just I was really good at seeing the pieces of how people got to where they were at yeah so there was a guest teacher or somebody and i would read their credentials yeah you got clues i loved reading bios of dancers Mm -hmm. and the couple of dance concerts i would go to i just read their bios and see what they did
0: i love that too like my parents loved broadway and we would go see like the local broadway shows a lot and i was always like i would take my playbill home and study like every singer's bio yes. like where are they from what shows mm-hmm. were they in yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think we probably and have a similar we have, probably have a similar like thinking noggin. ahead yeah. the
1: frontal cortex was really developed <laughs> yeah. i think in some ways my frontal cortex was really developed my emotional stability was not yeah. i wore my emotions on my sleeve in a lot of ways and i just feel recently in my 30s I'm able to... How old are
0: you? Modulate that. 36. Okay. I'm I'm almost 34. And yeah, I hope that when I'm 36, I'll be able to say what you're saying. Because like, (laughs) I don't think I'm there yet. (laughs) I still feel like... I feel so fragile sometimes. Like, it's interesting though, because in some ways I feel like I'm so strong. Like, in this way of like being a child and being like, I'm going to get an MFA. I don't think I knew so specifically what I wanted to do. But like, I remember like doing chores when I was like, you know, eight, nine and saving my allowance, like for college. Like I remember, and like, no one asked me to do that. Like, I think I had, my parents had a college fund, but like, (laughs) I remember just being like, who knows, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I, I distinctly remember like being maybe 12 or so and like getting out a piece of paper and thinking like, if I can make this much money, like, and thinking about moving out thinking about going somewhere else for school um i have always been like very unflappable with those kinds of things but then i'm like a little wispy feather with like my like tender little
1: feelings yes yes I have such tender feelings, and and that would be my parents. Would be like you, gotta stop wearing your heart on your sleeve. You gotta stop being so emotional of yeah. things.
0: I'm like, I'm sorry. This is just who I well, am. Then don't you feel like you need some of that to be a good artist? But yes. it would be. I feel like I struggle so much to like find a healthy medium there. Yes, it's something that I've been thinking about like directly in the last like two years. Like mm-hmm. Have I cracked it? No, I have not. <laughs>
1: And I generally think for me, it's happened within just the last yeah. couple of years. Okay, I'm like, whoa. Good. That's
0: helpful. I think this
1: hear. is where normal 25 year olds need to be. I just was like a decade yeah, later. I,
0: and I that's okay. I, I think I feel like that too. But there is something so magical about wearing your heart on your sleeve. I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I feel like if everyone in the world was like me, we'd all just be safe because, like, I love people so much. I feel so careful about people. And I think sometimes I, the reason, like, I think sometimes the way that it feels to me, and I, I've talked about this on the podcast a few times, cause I really have been thinking about it so much, but the type of emotional openness that I feel like I need to have in order to like love people the way that I want to everybody, strangers, my students, it's very hard to not let that openness go both ways. Like mm-hmm. I need to be a certain amount of open to care for other people and like see my fellow humans as magical beings the way that i genuinely want to and never want to stop doing but when they inevitably are not always magical <laughs> beings that like meanness gets in really easily mm-hmm. so i don't know i haven't i haven't cracked out how to have like a like a one-way filter you know? right like, like unfiltered in the one direction and filtered in the other mm-hmm. that's my that's my project next
1: right and working on still being professional and genuine and caring when it's not reciprocated back.
0: It's so hard. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. And I think I'm such an optimist. I just like assume everyone's gonna be lovely all the time. Like <laughs> I just like think people are gonna be gentle and magical and wonderful because that's mm-hmm. how I, that's how I see people. Mm-hmm. And then when they're not, I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> like, why are you mean? But it I takes always me by my
1: surprise. I always come in with that optimism still, even when something is less desirable of mm-hmm. the situation because there's just that hope Yeah, there is that hope that we, there's somebody who wants to catch the magic. Yes. Like, and you do find those communities. You do find those people that want to catch the magic with you. Yeah. And then those are your collaborators. Those are right. your, those Sorry. are your colleagues that you just
0: can make dreams happen. Totally. Keely. how did you realize you loved dance? Like how did you realize that was even the thing that you, <sighs>
1: Dance is a complex relationship, probably like music and singing. I think about my husband's who's a dentist, right? Yeah. It's not like when he was four years old, he's like, I'm going to be a dentist. And I'm going to give my whole childhood right. to dentistry. Right? And so I think, I think what's sometimes healthy and unhealthy is, is dance is so much part of many dancers identities because it's been with them for a right. long, long right. time. Right that, so how did I learn t- that I've loved dance? I think, I think when I finally learned that I just loved movement, yeah, any kind of movement. So whether that was on an official dance stage, but I just I finally began to see all dynamic movement, all dynamic people are dancers, and we all are dancers, just like you were talking about. We all are singers, but just realizing the beauty of movement and that yeah. we were. I believe we came here like we're here to use our bodies in political movements, in movements and dance, yeah. in um, in ways of healing, yeah. in ways of supporting each other. So my love for dance has really come through the power that movement has to transform the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So were you tell me this, you were consistent, you were the most consistent student. Which happened first, Keely being the most consistent student, Keely loving dance and having a passion for choreography? Were you consistent first or did you were you consistent like because you loved it? Cuz I can tough. totally see it going either way mm-hmm. like, cuz being consistent will also prime you to like see what's magical about the thing.
1: Okay, this is like the paradox, right? When you live in consistency the consistency—I was consistent—and it drove me so nuts that things were always consistent. That that's where my creative rebellion, sure, sure, would stem from. Sure, it's like why am I still doing this tattoo? Why are and so we I'm at the bar. <laughs> so then I would just go on my own and choreograph, or like feel like I needed to let go, sure, because of the consistency. So I Not think sure. it's like the
0: chicken and the egg, yeah, kind of idea co-evolution. Mm-hmm. Cool. What was interlocking like? Yeah. Uh, it was intense. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm I'm grateful for those 3 years. It was really tough in terms of 5 hours of ballet. Yeah. Sometimes 5 hours on point, but the environment was incredible to be around other artists from all disciplines who loved their art and their craft. And interlocking for sure without a doubt established within me this love for collaboration. Wow. I mean, working at the university now, I would, I really do say, I I would say I am a collaborator. I work with scientists, I work with scientists, design faculty and students. I'm working with music students. Like I'm very much about, no, we need to, in order to make something great, all hands need to be in this. Mm -hmm. And because I do care about the environment so much, like how can we use dance? How can we use the arts to advocate more for changes, yeah. for ha- habitual changes that we as humans are doing or not doing to the planet. Yeah. So I am working consistently with Ben Abbott from environmental science oh. on projects and so awesome. working.
0: Well, that but, yeah, collaboration that? we did was very like on that theme too. Yes. That I, I still, I w- is it done? It's the
1: coloring's not quite done, but it's done and I should just show okay, it okay. You. okay. I'd love to see it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to keep moving forward with that. I'm like, for sure, I care deeply about the land and that comes from my dad from farming. I was going to
0: say, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. So is your dad, Is I, I have to assume your parents being in Idaho, in rural Idaho, as LDS people are like conservative people. Yes. Is, is your dad like worried about climate change?
1: I have never asked my dad about that. I know my mom is like, I just had a conversation with her yesterday about, oh, because the boys asked, oh, I was asking them, because we get the National Geographic for kids. And so they were talking about otters are not endangered right now, but they may be with climate change. And so my mom and me were having discussion with him about climate change and how the warming up of the atmosphere warms up the water. And by warming up the water, it endangers like all animals that use the water to live or um, feed off of
0: and So, so your my parents, ma- my parents are like curious people. Yes, they were like yeah. that even when you were a kid. Yeah. I was going to ask. My dad's like, a
1: reader. He reads a cool. lot. He loves loves reading books, loves reading anything. And, and my husband, lo- he's a dentist, but he loves geology. And so That's
0: a very like, not in a political way, but like that's a very like liberal, um, like philosophically liberal mindset, like this curiosity, Don't, right? I think it could go either way. I think what I think...
1: My parents, though, were always one to hold back their opinions, at least in public, mm. and to just read. Yeah. I, I, can't, I cannot believe actually how much my parents read. That's so cool. Sometimes. And so that instilled really with cool. me sometimes the, the need to first be like, okay, let's assess, let's do this. And my parents respect me and whatever yeah. decisions or whatever I'm investigating with it.
0: I think curiosity is such a valuable thing. Like curiosity is kind of inherently humble. I think like it implies that there's so much that you don't know. Yes. Which is just like, it's so beautiful. And I I think also curiosity is like inherently a creative endeavor, like to go out of your way to investigate something. Like maybe you're not creating a thing, but you're creating like new pathways. You're creating like a, a larger framework for like your own understanding of, the world, your environment. I was going to ask if some of your, if you felt like you had like a, a political evolution being at Interlochen, but it sounds like maybe.
1: Yeah, I would yeah. say, uh, cool. I, and I, th- I would say it continually involves, it, yeah. it involves the more you, the more you interact with people, the more you realize, you know what, like. Yep. I need to care for you. I need to care for others. I need to care for the environment. I need to care, like my actions, whether intentional or unintentional have impact. And I need to make sure what that impact is doing. And I'm still learning about that. I'm Mm -hmm. still in a way, um, yeah, trying to make amends and trying
0: to move forward with things. Yeah. Uh, I think I feel the same way. It's that same, like, it's just, it's, if, if curiosity is like one of your values, which like, I think, you know, there's a lot of things about my childhood that I like, that feel just icky and foggy, but like, I'm pretty sure that I felt like a lot of conviction about curiosity, even as a little kid. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that that's like, for, for whatever reason, that's something that came with my little personality. But I I do feel like curiosity is like in my, like I feel moral about it. Like mm-hmm. curiosity is like one of my pillars of like my morality. And I think that for me, it's like what I said before, like curiosity implies that like I know that there's so much I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's my responsibility to like always be learning more and then pivoting my beliefs and my actions accordingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every time I learn a new thing, I feel like, oh, well, I've been doing that in a way that is not having a net positive, you know, kind of moving forward. Mm -hmm. So where did you go after that?
1: So after Interlochen, I had kind of two choices. I could go to Cal arts or BYU. And I asked my parents if I could go to Cal arts, but they said, I'm sorry, we spent so much money at Interlochen. (gasps) We don't have the means. And then I said, well, I think I just want to go to LA and dance. And then they said, go to BYU. If you don't like it for one year, then you could go to LA, yeah. And so I went to BYU uh, my first year, and I I loved it. It was for me a healing experience after Interlochen. So yeah. Interlochen taught me the skills of being a collaborator, being fiercely in your art. And I think that's something. Once I had children, I was like, wow, I do miss that time when you can spend just intense amount of focus on yourself. And so yeah, it's kind of sense, can seem somewhat selfish on the outlook to be spending all this time honing your craft, but it is a gift that you could give to others yeah. as you aim towards perfection, and I use that perfection term loosely, but aim yeah. towards being the best that you can excellence. be. Yet yeah, towards excellence in the very limited time that you have. So, yeah. yes, there's all this time to be a dancer and to continue to be a dancer, and we need to break those stereotypes that dancing is only for the young, but there is that magical period in our teens, yeah. in our 20s, yeah. where you can, like, put it all in.
0: Yeah, yeah. All so, I have to say is
1: I put it all in at interlock and at the end I was very depleted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so BYU was a good, the dance program was a very good place for me to feel like I could design my own thing. I don't have to do ballet. Uh, it was an open major. I majored in dance education. Cool. Grew a love for dance education. Did student teaching at Lone Peak and Mountain Ridge Junior I right here. Cool. And it was the most amazing and hardest time of my life. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was so good to be in the fire and realizing I don't think I have the capacity to do this full time teaching. You mean in, teaching. in the high school? Okay. Yes. Cool. In the high school or junior high. Yeah. And so then I applied to grad school. Okay. So that was also something unusual, I think to go to grad school right after undergrad. Yeah. But I said, okay, I need to go somewhere that has a two year MFA program that might have a dental school. You there are already to- made, married- you I was already married, married then. Yeah. Married my first boyfriend. I was the first girlfriend. Kind of one of those things where I was like I'm so busy with dance, I gotta go get an MFA. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't have time for dating. Yeah. So
0: oh, I love that you were both thinking. Where can we both go to school? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and maybe this is also just like because my family is conservative and they're not curious people. And I was kind of told from the time I was very young, if you want to go to college, you better finish quickly. Because if there's a husband that if you have to choose, it's going to be him, his education. And I felt so strongly about my education because curiosity is in my morals, you know. (laughs) Um, And I felt a lot of fear about that as a child. And I always felt very, very protective about my education. Mm -hmm. And like, I need to. I need to, I need to prioritize this. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not, um, I might not be allowed to later. So that, that I wasn't, I wasn't raised to have the thought that I was allowed to prioritize my education. So in that, from that lens, mm. it feels victorious that the the two of you would be invested in each other's education in that way.
1: Yes. And the story cool. gets even better in a way cause it's more dramatic, but, uh, So then I applied to Iowa and I got the Dean's Fellowship Scholarship. So everything was covered. But so we moved there and Brandon had a year off because he was taking a year off in order to study for the dental dental entry exam. And so we went to Iowa. I'm like, oh, this is great. He'll get residency because he's living in Iowa and working in Iowa. But he didn't get in to Iowa. Oh, no. He got into Ohio state. So they were like, what do we do now? I was going to say,
0: I thought you came from
1: Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. And so we actually lived a year apart so I could finish my MFA and he could start his first year of dental school Wow! and people go, how did you do that? How'd you survive? Like, it was great. I was doing my thesis. I was so busy. And Mm. then he was doing all of these in-class courses that really required him to get A's if he wanted to specialize And so while, yes, it was hard, yeah. we were so poor to splitting up that way in the finances of renting yeah. two apartments, we did it. And I, I'm so grateful for
0: that. That's amazing. Andrew and I have kind of a similar thing. We dated long distance for two years and we were, we were not married yet, but we did, we were very committed to each other. And we also had a lot of people, like, I felt like a lot of people were like, you should move to where he is. And I was like, I'm not done with school. And then he, uh, he finished his bachelor's degree and moved to Texas for one year while he finished my master's. And then he put his degree, his PhD on pause. So we, we have a similar like yeah investing in each other's, but I, I was not taught to expect that. And so I'm like, was very, very grateful Mm. and like, it's still, you know, I don't know. So I I appreciate your story too. <laughs> Some people might be like, "Of course, that's what you do," but I feel like it's very like that's a real commitment to each other and and right. to your passions. <clears throat> Sorry, my there's throat phlegm. My throat. Yes, it's early. It still is early, <laughs> <laughs> and it's getting to be winter.
1: Yes. And I would say the more we tell those stories, the more it gives women permission and not that they need permission, but to know like, oh, I could do it. I can maybe emotionally handle it, too, because I think it's not even that the partner wouldn't support them, but just being like, do I have the resilience? Do I have the the emotional capacity yeah. to be a part. And a part of was like, yes, you can. It's a very short time in life.
0: Totally. And this is one thing that like, I will really get on one for men too. Like, you know, cause we live in a patriarchal society and that's mostly always bad for women. But as an artist, I feel such, I feel such grief over how many men I've heard say, well, I can't be an artist cause I need to support a family, you know? Mm. And I think that's also, devastating like Mm -hmm. just think a little out of the box think creatively you are an artist after all like there are so many ways to be a human there are so many ways to be a parent there are so many ways to be a spouse your marriage can look like anything i i wish i wish people would be taught the value of nurturing what's sparkliest about yourself Mm -hmm. and really believing that like the best thing you can do in the world is to be the sparkliest version of yourself. Even if that means like, you're not the one with health insurance, right? <laughs> and your spouse has health insurance, <laughs> you know, and your, and your, and your spouse is your wife, you know? Right. I mean, I don't know. I'm feel making so, more money than you and that's okay. Totally. I feel so strongly about those things. Like there are just, there are so many, there are so many ways. There are so many ways. And I, I wish that, I wish that we could be better at kind of like being flexible in order to let our shiniest selves flourish mm-hmm. in the world. I know you feel that way too.
1: Well, and even the pandemic mm-hmm. has forced all of us to, for many of us for a, a while to go online or to think of new ways of how mm-hmm. do we do this work life. And I wouldn't even call it balance, but just the work life experience. Sure. and, and I wouldn't are, call it balance yeah. either. <laughs> And I'm like, the work life the experience, experience, I yes. love it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking there, the, there's new ways that we can do it, right? Some with Zoom meetings. because I've been reading in the New York Times how many people are now requesting everybody come back to the workplace. And I, I'm just thinking, okay, what can we learn from this pandemic about how we allow flexibility? How do we trust people right. to do the work that they need to do in the best way possible and let them experience a personal life. Yeah, I think I was reading this thing about the millennials and the, bur- uh, we're called the burnout generation. Yeah. And they said, and some might argue it's because they're lazy and all this. And and in fact, like, no, the opposite is true. You can text a millennial. You can, at any hour they're on yeah. schedule. And I look about my own life and I think, oh, wow. Yeah. I, I have a hard time shutting it off. And so that's why my husband and I and the kids we go purposely down to Southern Utah because it forces myself and everybody else to unplug because we literally can't get any cell phone service. But I have been trying to think about like, yeah, how can I create better boundaries or healthier boundaries for myself being a millennial who now has grown up with a cell phone texting is, and I grew up without one. And to know Though I'm head, I feel like I'm heading on a disaster train.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we yeah. are a
1: generation that is always on I, on the
0: job. I feel that so distinctly. I'm. Mm-hmm. I feel the exact same way. Like I, I also felt like I kind of had some realizations. Like, oh, I have been running on fumes for a decade. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, and it's just like how we. It's just it feels normal. Yes, it feels normal to be like exhausted all the time. It's insane. And yeah. to feel like it's healthy, right?
1: That busyness equates to worth, self worth. Right. And it's like, no, okay, I have to set that aside. My busyness does right. not reflect me.
0: When I'm thinking about what you had said earlier about like respecting people's labor. And I feel like part of that also means like, letting their labor be finished <laughs> like yes if yes you, if you never let it finish then you certainly aren't respecting it mm-hmm. you certainly aren't valuing it and that's the hard part with the arts because right. the labor is never finished
1: right. you can always go back into film and be like let's re-edit this as currently in my state of right now i'm like i can't release things they're not done and i'm like i like yeah to end the process to close it up mm-hmm. and to let people move on yes yeah. yeah. I need to work on that.
0: Yeah. I, I was, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm like, I'm thinking about these things as well. Yeah. It's, <laughs> they're good points, but also like, I need to work on it too. Right. Because <laughs> when my husband finishes a root canal, it's done,
1: it's right. over. But when you finish a song or a recording, you're like, Oh, I or can do it just again. To finish
0: your day. Like, I mean, yes. cause you're right. It's never even finished. Like when we have these projects that are like, they're going to take two years, like you still need to finish a day, you know, <laughs> like your work still needs to be finished that day. And like, honoring the work that you put in that day, even mm-hmm. though nothing is finished, the root canal is not finished. It's a two, it's a two year root canal you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, that I am home. I am done for this day. I'm right. done for this week. I, you know, right. I don't know. That's really, it's hard.
1: But yeah. with the arts, that's the tricky part versus that root canal where the root canal does finish. Right. But in the arts, it doesn't like you're saying, yeah. Oh, I'm prepping for this show. I did even finish the song. Yeah but you have to say i'm finished for finished today. today but it's so hard cuz you go to bed try, thinking of it dreaming yep. of it you're yep. constantly letting it roll in your mind at least with me and dance i'm relooking at the film footage mm-hmm. i'm looking at other film dance film as inspiration i'm training yeah. my body like even when i'm finished with my work it's like oh i should probably go take a dance class sure
0: to keep myself i bet you even up. i like if i think i understand anything about you i bet even as you're just like playing with your kids, watching them move. You're like thinking. Oh, absolutely. You're like at the grocery store, you're like watching someone reach for something and you're like thinking about that.
1: Yes, it doesn't (laughs) shut off. Like even the other day I was thinking about how my kids interrupt me. I'm like, this would be such a great dance about the interruption of of children midway in sentences but midway through the movement yeah
0: oh my gosh i'm totally the same way like and and it's exhausting it is and it's also kind of exciting but then i feel myself being like i can hear myself like being boring or being like (laughs) like, because i will get like fixated on like these creative ideas yeah oh my gosh i also like i also hear hear and feel myself like um, I'm so fascinated by voices like I just love voices and I'll hear someone like on the phone <laughs> like the stranger and like I have to really resist the urge to be like you have such a beautiful voice oh like, have such beautiful and sometimes you know I will say it and then sometimes people are like wow thank you and sometimes people are like what <laughs> and then I'm just like mm, sorry never mind just yeah. pretend it didn't happen <laughs> oh man voice. do you ever feel like you want to tell someone like Your walk is so graceful. (laughs) Oh,
1: yes. All do the time. I'll you, be like, you're posh. Or, or
0: sometimes opposite. I'll be like, you know, if you
1: release the tension in your back a little bit more and bend your knees, I think yeah. you will have a better. Or runners. I'll watch yeah. runners. I'm like, ooh. Like, just want to. If you so use funny. your horse cross cross lateral and use your arms to swing, yeah. I, I think you'll be able to oh my have, gosh. have more distance. But then you watch me run and then it's like, ooh. I think about so it so much, much too if I'm
0: like watching TV and there's like a character. Or like, oh my gosh, I'll be watching something like Guilty Pleasure the bachelor <laughs> <laughs> like just hearing the way that someone speaks and just being like okay i gotta like get on instagram and find this girl message oh. her and be like breathe <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, like your voice is so stressed oh your voice is so <laughs> tense like inhale relax unclench <laughs> mm-hmm. i've never done that but i do get like i get i get obsessed with it <laughs> like oh this person's on the screen again and i have to like participate emotionally in her vocal Mm. tension oh (laughs) you know i feel it like i Mm -hmm. feel it empathetically Mm -hmm. oh my gosh
1: silly speaking of instagram do you find yourself having to use it a lot for your work for
0: booking No. no i use facebook a lot for booking though okay but not instagram i don't know instagram's weird for music I think, I'm sure there are younger people who would be like, what? No, Instagram's the perfect perfect place for music. But it's such it's such a visual mm-hmm. medium or a visual platform yeah." that I, I don't know, I have a hard time with it. Okay. So fascinating because I
1: feel like Instagram is the platform for dance. Because it's visual. Yeah, yeah. And I'm one that has never really loved to be on Facebook or Instagram, but yeah. I find as I'm trying to reach out to choreographers oh, to yeah. choreograph... Instagram oh, is the yeah. place I have to go I to and ding, DMing them mm-hmm. to ask if they would be willing to participate or choreograph a right. work. So that's been a new evolution. So just on this podcast, just being like, yeah, what is it? What does dance look like in the media? And then how do you yeah, balance like the Instagram and being on social media versus being on social media for work related? I
0: know. Things. Oh, I know. That's I know. That's hard. Well, and also, even just like for my podcast, like m- the vast majority of people that I interview, I've never met before, and so I I find them by like lots of times I'm like scrolling around, just like mm-hmm. you know, I'm 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 spying. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's the bio, the program bio yes, reading. Totally. It's, it's now yeah. digitally. I'm yes. I'm just sleuthing around, like who is doing cool stuff. And then like, and then once I think I found someone who's doing cool stuff, spying on them for a little longer to make sure they're not a creep, you know, or mean or trying to assess that they're not mean. And then being like, hey, I've been watching you for six months. Want to (laughs) come?
1: I, I do that with choreographers. I, like I have been following <laughs> your movement or like, I just DM some, some beautiful dancers who I saw in beyond Babel in New York city cool. last week. I just wanted to say you were beautiful and yeah. I love your movement. And I saw you in project home. Like, yeah, I totally felt like a stalker, oh, but I do acknowledging do like that. Yeah. those
0: artists because oh my gosh. of their work. The labor. Keely, I will, this is something I will do. I will hear, I will listen to a podcast and hear the music like the or the you know you know some podcasts have music all throughout like mm-hmm. like this american life yes. or something like that um and i'll hear at the end who does the music for it and i will find that person and it's not their podcast you know and just be like i loved your work on this episode mm-hmm. <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> cuz i also do feel like people need to know like yes. where their work is going mm-hmm. i feel so strongly about that too yeah or like and that they're valued Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, the stars of the things are probably getting plenty of attention. But like, yeah, a background dancer or someone who's like, you know, uh, lower down in the cast or something. I mean, yeah, I feel like if I notice something that someone who's whose name isn't on the project, if I notice something that that person's doing really well, I feel like I have to tell them. Mm-hmm. I like I have not I have to mm-hmm. like have like a, again like a moral obligation to make sure that person knows like hey I'm appreciating your work yes
1: yeah and I feel the same just be like you were great you're great there's there's something inside of my soul that loves
0: to create that validation for people yeah it's beautiful and it feels good to yourself mm-hmm. too I find in the same way that I feel like it feels good to myself to be like your voice is so pretty your speaking voice like <laughs> just your talking voice is so lovely like it makes me happy mm-hmm. but then sometimes I'm like maybe I creeped that person out <laughs> <laughs> so um when do, what did you do between like being in Ohio and starting teaching at BYU yes so this is
1: where the baby face
0: came okay. in and the whole trying to
1: balance motherhood and Creativity. Yeah. While the husband was in dental school. And Brandon that? was so supportive in a lot of ways, as best as he could, but he was, he was in, in dental class. school. Yeah, yeah, he was in dental school. Oh, uh, I had this is where you have to find your tribe because I had nobody, no family, yeah. relations close by. And I, there was somebody there, Lindsay LaPointe, who really became a great advocate with me and Laurie Allred. Cool. I'm giving a shout out yeah, to them good. that Laurie is a visual artist and she became my best friend f- at, during our time that we were raising kids. So we had our cool. kids about the same time. She had an MFA in visual art and she had the same drive to be excellent in the art. Like I got my MFA. I'm not going to let this just die down. Right. So we would do collectives. We would do pickup things like Artist interrupted. And that was an organization that would try to help individuals and really help ourselves at yeah. this time to put our art forward or to create something, a project, yeah. anything, a dance concert, an art gallery during this time.
0: That's kind of I, how we became friends because you invited me to work on um, oh. your uh, An Artist Interrupted show.
1: Yes, yeah. yes. And so it, it happened here. It happened in Ohio. It happened in D.C. It kind of happens wherever we cool. find the community to make it happen. Now, it's not 501c3. I just turned in the paperwork. Is Artist Interrupted yours? It's. Or is it like a chapter kind of like a thing? A, it's a, a collective. It's a movement. A movement. Yeah. Okay. That, that currently I'm like. Okay, I got to get this movement moving.
0: And but is it so your movement? Like, did you come up with that? Artist no, it you? was okay. definitely a collective. Okay,
1: okay. I was part of the group, original though. group. Okay, yes, I, I was I part it. of the original group that cool. did make it happen. Solari cool. was one. Elizabeth Hanson, Holly Petty, and me. so we were all different places, but we're like, we need the art. I don't think that's part of. I don't think that is a discussion we have a lot about. Mm-hmm artist identity Mm -hmm. and motherhood until we've had a baby because we have this very romantic notion of, Oh, I'm going to do my art and be a mother at the same time. And like, yes, you can, but it's harder than it looks. And I don't. And sometimes when we speak about it, then it may seem like, well, you don't value motherhood. It's like, no, I'm really valuing my art. And as I become, as I value my art with my motherhood, I become a better mother.
0: Well, I feel like I get on one on this podcast. I mean, the podcast, this podcast is about art identity. Like, I mean, it's about creativity and and art identity. And I feel like art identity, any, any Venn diagram. So like, you know, your art identity and motherhood, your art identity and uh, being LDS, your art identity and um, being a professor, you know, like whatever it is, your art identity and like just the jeans you put on in the daytime, like where you live, um, all of these things are very difficult to navigate. I mean, I think motherhood is probably very difficult to navigate, but artist identity is like, it's a very tricky, it's a very tricky thing. Mm -hmm. Do you have thoughts about like that kind of just what like artist identity even means? Going back to the motherhood
1: identity, I I just want to emphasize there, like, I think sometimes if you haven't had a child, You've got, when you do, you realize the child is there and you're going to take care of it, him or her and, and it's survival mode. So they will always be your priority, right? Like there's no way you can ignore a baby. You're going to feed the baby. You're going to love the baby. You're going to cradle the baby. And so I want to rest assured parents, like we all understand you're putting your child first. We all understand
0: a baby's a baby. Yes. We all understand you are putting (laughs) your
1: child first and they, and and that's a great assessment about It's Like, is your child alive and thriving? Great. You're doing a great job. Rather than like, I have to put everything in all the time, 100%. It's like, phew, they're surviving. They're doing well. They're thriving. You're a good parent. Yeah. So why don't you go and take, let, let's see if we can find time to take time for yourself, to do your art Yeah. and to know that don't you don't need to be guilty, yeah. that you're taking a couple of hours out to do this for yourself because you've put in all these countless hours for your family and it's okay. So I feel like there's a lot of permission and a constant sense of permission. I'm needing to talk with young mothers about like, yeah, go, go and take that dance class, go and do that. Um, and to, yeah, put the, put the dance identity or your artist identity to not let it fade away and to not feel guilty Either way, if you feel like you're not feeding that identity or if you feel like you're feeding it too much, but to honor honor that part wherever you are in your journey.
0: Well, you just are a person. Like you just are Keely, and Keely is an artist and a mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think like you know, letting your boys witness you being a person is also you being a good mom. <laughs> like right. you know, I mean, I think those things are like we get it a little twisted sometimes. Like I'm not a mom, but I had a mom who was not balanced. And my mom was um she was a stay-at-home mom, which is supposed to be like the the right thing. But she was a very unhappy woman, and I wish so much that she would have taken better care Care of her her soul. Yes. I think she would have been such a better mom to me anyway. I mean, I'm sure my, my brothers might feel differently, but, um, I think she would have been a better mom to me if she had been a better self to herself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it feels to me like very, yeah. Like our, I, I, I think about this so much, like our identities, we can think of them as these like compartments, like I said before, but like, they're in, they, they have to be integrated mm-hmm. and that can get so tricky. It mm-hmm. can get really tricky. And during these formative years,
1: when the kids were young, I was having to integrate my dance a lot more with them and yeah. vice versa. Like if you look at videos, there's like me dancing and the kids are in the background just playing around or I'd submit videos for festivals and uh, concept ideas and the, and Lincoln's just sitting there on the grass, picking grass. And like, yeah. wow, this was like Um, it was a stressful time, but at the same time I reflect back and I'm like, wow, I kept the practice up. I kept my practice up even, albeit ever so small with my group of, of women that were supportive of me that would be flexible with rehearsal schedules. It'd be like, yeah, let's rehearse 10 to midnight Sure, because that's when Brandon comes home. It's like, that's amazing. So just having that flexible schedule was so important.
0: Yeah. We've kind of, I don't think we actually quite said it, but we've kind of like hinted at this idea that people will judge mothers for, you know, investing in their art. But I also feel like artists and the art community will judge artists for like investing in their children. Yes. Do you have, do you have thoughts about that? Like the ways in which like as artists, we can police each other's identities Mm. in this way. That's kind of what I was wondering before I did a bad (sighs) job asking the question. But this time it was good.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I could give specific details, yeah. but I know what you're meaning with that yeah. about like kids in the workspace or, or in the play space yeah. of dance. I will say when I, Ohio felt very supportive when I had the three kids yeah. because a lot, I just feel like a, there weren't a lot of kids around in the arts community. Mm. So people were so they supportive. Were excited. Yeah. yeah. I had... A cool. residency with Ballet Met where you would go in for six weeks and teach in the schools. And it was the perfect job because I could either choose to do a six-week residency or not. So when I had kids or when I just had the baby, I'm like, I can't do it right now. But then when they were older, I'm like, hey, I'm ready to come back. And they. it was amazing. I wish we could start developing arts programs yeah. or arts residencies that allow... a a more flexible six week Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. commitment versus a full semester or a full year. And typically dance, even in a studio dance, your kids, if your kids are in dance classes, there's that full commitment that teacher is giving for the year. And that's kind of hard to plan your life or, or the unexpected twists and turns that you would want. So I, I mean, one thing I love to look at are systems. How can systems be better? And that was in Ohio when I came to Utah it felt the opposite. So many people had kids. So many people yeah. are trying to make it work that there wasn't that kind of intangible support that I had Isn't in Ohio. Weird? So yeah. in Ohio, people would open the doors for me and they'd be like, you're doing great mom. Yeah. When I'd have the three They're boys like, proud of you. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, thank you. Like, I just felt like I was hitting it out of the park yeah. and I was
0: three boys. That's a lot. And then I come to Utah and there can almost be this <laughs> implied story that you don't care about dance. Like if you, if you are also caring about your kids, I feel that sometimes, like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't even have kids, but I, I almost feel like, I almost feel this sometimes just like being married. Like sometimes I feel like there's this, there's this implication that I'm not like a real artist. I'm not a real committed Mm -hmm. artist because like I'm not bohemian enough or something, (laughs) you know, or, or I also think I personally think a lot about like day to day physical presentation Mm. and the ways that we judge artists based on things that have nothing to do with their art. art. Yeah, like well, how do you decorate your house? Like what are what are you posting on your Instagram that, you know, not even your work Instagram, but like we just, I don't know. Or, or sometimes I feel like um, I receive a story that I'm not a committed artist because I teach, you know, oh. like. Like, uh, which might, I don't know what that's like for dance. I think maybe, I think maybe teaching is a little bit more integrated in dance than it is in music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause like, even in like a professional ballet, like the, the line between teacher and student is maybe like a little bit less where like, I think a lot in music, it's like very unsexy to teach, you know, mm. like you don't think of like, <clears throat> you don't think of like Justin Timberlake having students. You know what I mean? (laughs) He doesn't. But like in the same way as like the best prima ballerina, you know, at the New York city ballet, like is probably is teaching.
1: I don't know if they're teaching. Or
0: will teach eventually or something. We'll teach
1: eventually. That could be a, yeah. uh, Yes. A possibility. Or
0: at least we're just not thinking about it. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. we don't, you wouldn't see like a, a famous dancer teaching and be like, Oh, I think, but I think with musicians, it's like, Well, if you're teaching, then Mm. not like a real.
1: Yeah. So I wonder if all this comes down to, I feel the scarcity mentality. Oh, yeah. Right? In the arts. Totally. Yes. Because then it's like, well, I'm giving everything. I've sacrificed everything. So And it's performative. Mm -hmm. It's
0: like, Mm -hmm. I think we perform. I, I get so blech about like performing artist identity. Like I will get so like on a high horse about it. <laughs> like artist identity and presenting artist identity like these are not the same thing. And I I think I think maybe social media has contributed very negatively mm-hmm. to some of the arts. Cuz you know, I don't know if you see this on Instagram, but I feel like there were a lo- there are a lot of people who present themselves as artists who never make any art mm. do you see that except for you could argue that instagram itself
1: is a platform to- of art
0: i definitely so could that and i definitely art- would okay and i definitely would say like no they are their medium they're is instagram yes but they're, they're not Inst- but they're presenting themselves as like an artist some other kind of artist but they never actually do that what they're doing is instagram yeah i, th- mm-hmm. I don't know i think about that stuff a lot but maybe that's just my that's my soapbox and not yours. <laughs> so we can let it go. <laughs> okay. I love, you know, as we're kind of closing to hear you talk more about this, like what you, what you were talking about before we started recording about belonging. Cause That sounds like what you're, sounds like you're excited about that now too. Yeah. I, I think that's
1: the root of me talking about belonging is I think my journey of coming back to dance. So while I had the children and was working with other artists to kind of stay afloat, it was this whole, can I, can I come back to dance after having kids and I had kids fairly young, uh, where, where's my community. And so after we left Ohio, we came to Utah and I tore my ACL and I thought, okay, this is it. I've had babies. I've barely been able to stay afloat and dance. I think I'm I think I'm ready to move on. Yeah. And I think I'm ready to move on from dance without bitterness. Cause I think that's really important as dancers when you've spent your whole childhood, you've committed your high school yeah. career, your two degrees towards dance, to be like, can I let go and not regret any of the journey? Yeah. And I felt I was in a healthy, really healthy place to let go of it. Like I, yeah, I'm I'm ready to move on and pivot my career. Cause I want, I want, I want to see wh- who else Keely is. Right, Cool. So before, during this time I said, okay, but I'm going to get in the best shape of my life and dance. Cause if I could go back to dance, it means my body's healthy, healthy enough that I could do whatever sport or activity right. I want to do. You're not
0: quitting because of your knee. Yes. Yeah. I'm not quitting
1: because of my yeah. knee. I'm I'm quitting because I want to. Right. Yes. That's, that, yeah. that's, that's a very good point. And Something I didn't think of, but that's absolutely why I did it. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I was leaving on my own terms. Yeah, with that, so we poured in a ton of babysitting money, tons of money. I d- I decided to go get certified law bond movement analysis certified cool. at the University of Utah with uh, Janice Meenan, Peggy Hackney and Colleen and Cadence. Sorry, cool. I have to say their names because yeah. I. It's, it's important, important to say. It's important to say. Yeah, the people that have really have helped you along. The journey. And so I went through that program and I had great support from family. And again, we were in a financial position where I finally could hire babysitters for like 10 to 12 hours a day while I was doing this certification. And I said, I'm going to go do hip hop. I'm going to go take hip hop classes. And so the first class I went in, his name was Tristan Gray. And I go, holy smokes, I cannot do this movement. And it wasn't because it was requiring that leg up to 180 degree. It was just the speed, the musicality, everything combined. And it was all the movement I couldn't do. And so I began studying with him intensely. And I studied with the CLMA program and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to move on. And there was somebody who was doing the program with me, Kate Monson, who said there's a position opening up at BYU. Would cool. you want to apply? And I always like, I've already applied. I've never gotten an interview. I'm yeah. not going to yeah. apply. Cause I'm, again, I'm moving on from dance and I found this hip hop community that I just really yeah. resonated with because they accepted me as a mother. Cool. They accepted me with my injured knee. Mm-hmm. They just they just loved that. I was this cool. mother like the, in my thirties just starting, but I was just eager to be there and very accepting. And that was also same with the Capoeira community too. Yeah. And so I was really felt like I found my community to move on from dance. So, so I was going to apply. And then my friend Laurie said, besides your pride being hurt, because yeah. you haven't gotten an interview, yeah, what do you have to lose yeah. to apply? And so yeah. I was like, Oh, okay, I'll I'll apply. So I literally applied the day of, it was due that day. And I just wrote my cover letter and I just sent it off and had no expectations. And so when I got the call for an interview, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? No, like this is a joke because again, I've had big gaps in my resume. I was coming back from an ACL surgery. There's just a lot of things in, in my in in my life that looks like I wouldn't be a good candidate, but I applied, I got accepted. And so I started that full time. And that was that, this has been my first time being in work full time, having children. My mom moved down to help. She came to live with us, which was amazing because she had retired from nursing. She was a nurse for over 40 years maybe 50. Wow. Yeah, I think maybe 50, yeah. 50 years. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Crazy. 40. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of years. <gasps> yeah. And so, um, so she came down, it was kind of like everybody on deck to kind of help me wow. be able to That's be fully amazing. immersed. Yeah. And, and um, it goes back to, I'm grateful for multi-generational living yeah. for that support. I'm grateful for Brandon. and And then I've been working now at BYU full time and and still trying to find that balance cuz i i do go to hip hop with tristan every week and yeah. st- and it's it brings me an immense amount of joy and so i'm trying to balance off like yeah the dancer part of me i'm 36 i'm still just 36 i want to dance yeah versus um answering emails and teaching right. more lecture and right. and also spending time with my family, really trying to commit. These are the golden years of my my children's lives, yeah. and and I love every moment. Today is actually my son's birthday. Oh, he's seven years old. My youngest son. Oh my gosh, your baby. Yeah, he's my baby, and he's growing up. I'm like, I I want to be here, and just trying to really, I don't want to say compartmentalize, but to really prioritize what's essential with the time period mm. I'm in yeah. with my children with my husband, with with the university and what I need to do too to make sure I am on task and for myself as a human being. Yeah. And one of those things that I have done was I started snowboarding. Cool. So I <laughs> cool. Crazy enough though, I tore my MPFL two years ago. So that was before the ACL. So I'm like, I'm having ligamentous issues. I went pescatarian. So I was like, okay, maybe it's ho- Meat, and so I went pescatarian. I've tried; I've been trying to change my lifestyle with that. But I said, I keep injuring myself doing dance. I might as well go do something else that could bring me joy in life. Yeah, that you expect an injury to happen. I'm yeah. very careful, <laughs> so good. I started taking snowboards lessons last season, and that's just something my cool. family the my boys do, they do skiing. Cool. So I didn't want to be left out because this is like, this is important. It's family something time. Together, yeah. Something we could do together, even just driving up 40 minutes up to the mountain. That's important conversation time. Yeah. So I was like, I've got to learn how to snowboard. Yeah. And so I've, I've been learning how to do that. So yeah, developing my identity, developing my I movement love goals and, and just trying something new and yeah. Enjoying, enjoying life, enjoying what life has to that's give. Awesome. And being sure not to be bogged down by the emails or the unnecessary things yeah. that, that can wait.
0: Did you wanna say anything else about like creating belonging for your students or like just how you're thinking about that? Oh, I'm sorry. That no, was that's t- fine. It's fine. <laughs> I keep on the top. <gasps> no, I wanna to hear what you
1: I wanna hear your thoughts though. Um something that we've been discussing is like how to create not just a safe space, because we can't always guarantee a safe space even though we try, yeah. is to create a brave space where Voices can be heard where people can love speak that. up, and so I'm I'm trying I'm trying to do that I'm trying to say you know I'm a safe person to talk with or um, as long as you're here I, I try to be really active in the space try to wait for the pauses to say things to say you're loved whether it's affirmation. sometimes we do walk go around and speak about gratitude or recently some of the students we said something affirmative to another student because it was their, her birthday. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of healing that still needs to be done, especially with the pandemic and where we're at in life and the social isolation. Trying to find m- moments then that we can create a container to allow people to be vulnerable, yeah, to allow them to be brave, to allow them to work through things you can't leave things at the door I think that's really important that we like we can't leave our stresses we can't leave our fears um so to give the students permission to dance to be able to talk about the fears and and it's hard because everything is recorded or everything's on film or all this stuff but to be like you know but while we're in this container right now you know we we want to make it stay here or we want to make sure That what is said is not um, spoken outside the class. If the discussion needs to end there, so then that way people feel like that closure, at least for that moment. You're saying, yeah, and can work and can can move
0: forward. I love this idea of a brave space versus a safe space. Like, I mean, safe spaces are a beautiful idea, but we're messy. Like, Mm -hmm. and as even as it, even you and I, you know, as much as we want to be safe people, our perspectives are always limited. We're, we're always working on growing them, but that kind of inherently means that at any given moment they're limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, like I, I, lo- I love this. I love this idea of, of brave space, like, cause it takes bravery to realize that you're wrong. Yes. It takes bravery to realize that your perspective needs to be shifted. It takes bravery to be a person saying like, Hey, miss keely glenn my teacher or my <laughs> colleague you know you are doing something that is hurtful to me mm-hmm. you know or whatever like that's all so brave um and i think it's the the braver the space
1: the more we can ask for forgiveness totally. i think that's something and to apologize patience yeah. that's something i've been trying to work on is to try to apologize yeah. more yeah because in that way the person or the community can move forward if there's yeah. an actual like formal apology too
0: i have a song about this on my new album it's not out publicly yet but it's i'll give you a copy before you leave because <gasps> i have them it's yes. but it's, it's not out but it, they're, it's finished but uh it's the song's called breaking room and it's about like you know just gently asking the people around you to be patient with you while you're trying to figure things out and like, you know, not being perfect. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, an active apology, you know, like, Mm, like be with me, please be with me and hold my hand and be gentle with me while I work, while I'm working hard to be a better person. And I feel like, I feel like it's just, it's, it's something that we all need to learn how to do, to apologize, to change gracefully, to, I don't know, deal with the, Maybe sometimes we have shame when we realize we've been doing something wrong, um, that we've been understanding something wrong, that we maybe ha- need to make some amends um, and, you know, having, asking for patience, you know, <laughs> while we're trying our best. And then, you know, I guess the implied other part of the story is that there's someone on the other side saying, okay, I will, mm-hmm. I'll be with you. I'll, st- I'll wait with you while mm. you, while you work on this. Which just yeah, it feels very brave. Feels very brave on both sides. Yes, yeah. Ugh, Keely, you're so cool. I remember like I hope it's okay if I say this, but like I remember the very first time I met you at church, and you just came in wearing your khaki pants and your knee brace, oh, and I was, I was just in like, my knee brace, oh yeah. I was just like, who is that lady? <laughs> and you just like ugh, I just you're just I like, still
1: wear the pants I'll still wear hats I'm always wearing crazy hats it. now you're,
0: you are so brave like you are such a brave person so that's that's perfect that that's like you know a focus of that you're trying to take that bravery that I think is fairly if must be at least a little intuitive for you and sharing that in your spaces and teaching that letting your students kind of like learn that from you too and Oh, it's so cool. Okay. I ask everybody at the end, what's your dream collaboration today? My dream, like it, you could assemble a whole team. Cause I know that's what you
1: love. Oh, yes. What's your dream collaboration? Oh, it would be some type of dance school. Okay. More emphasis on the dance part than the musical. So Bob the dance style. I, yeah. So yeah. even I went and saw Town in New York city the last weekend and I was like looking at the producers like, Oh wow. Look at that production team. Yeah. And Cats s- is also a dance school. Would you say yes, so? Yes, yeah. I would say. Yeah. But one like deeply rooted in the emotional cool. aspects of, and journey, the spiritual, physical journey of individuals and the struggles cool. that they come to find healing. That, that is my dream. I feel like that's about 10 years out, yeah. but that is like, that's oh, been a focus that amazing. I'm slowly kind of.
0: Well, if you need, I mean, away. I would love to be involved in that yes. project with you. Yes. So if Absolutely. If you need, if Emily, you need demo vocals, let me know. Here I am.
1: Vocalist okay.
0: for the main. Yeah. yeah. I I'm like, I, that is
1: that is my ultimate dream right now. Cause that would bring about a team to create something yeah. amazing. So cool. I I'm saying it even now to bring it out into the universe. Yeah. I keep saying it. 'cause I'm like, yeah. okay, ten
0: years. It's like my ten year plan. Good. I love it. And then finally, where can people find your work? Or find oh, yeah, find, where they can
1: probably Instagram, even though I don't have very many posts. I'm I'm fairly reserved online. Okay. Still, I kind of just use it as needed a to, networking, to tool. networking. What's your um, handle? Do you feel? I like- think it's Song Keely at Song S O N G, and then Keeley, Keely K E E
0: L Y. Cool. But always email to okay. Song.
1: S-O-N-G, and is there to like a Keeley? is
0: there a specific like YouTube channel where people can see your choreography with like your your students at BYU? Yeah, I think if you were to go to BYU
1: Dance, but there's a lot of films that have just come through the s- circuit that I have not released. Like there's so many things You're like that environmental I've, dance project films. The environmental dance project, yeah, can be found on the BYU Dance Department. The pregnancy dance film I have not released cool. that online. Ugh, I'm Keely, getting very so close cool. so but if you go okay. if you follow me on Instagram, I will be releasing those things in the world okay. soon. Cause I <laughs> yeah. I have yeah, I've I've been Taking a step back, like there's other voices that need to be heard, especially other minority voices that need to be heard beside myself. Mm-hmm. And so, for the last two years, I have kind of intentionally been not being public online, yeah, and trying to learn from things and people, and trying to research on my own. And so, I feel like I'm in a place now. Where I'm like, okay, other people are asking about my work, and so I will i'm
0: I'm, ser- I'm going Should to be I? putting it forward cool well i'm proud of you and i'm just excited to know you and i think you're the best i think you're the best too emily <laughs> thanks, grateful you. for our collaboration coming on my yes. podcast it was great to talk to you here thank you thanks. thanks for listening to artifice our theme song is as you are from my album masks with artwork and merch designs by sarah keel if you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, That's emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.